Our scripture lesson this evening comes from Isaiah chapter 58, verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. Shout out, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet day after day they seek me and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why do we fast, but you do not see? Why humble ourselves, but you do not notice? Look, your servant, you servant your own interests on your fast day and oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourselves from your own kin, Then your light shall break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom shall be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt You shall raise up the foundation of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Merciful and just God, we come before you during this time acknowledging as we enter into the season of Lent, that we, yes, we who have gathered in your house are sinners, that we who seek you this day have fallen short of your glory, have yet to live up to the holiness to which you have called us. And so we ask during this time that you might open our eyes, open our hearts, lead us to love, allow us to acknowledge the ways you have called us to be your church, your disciples, the people who have adopted your own name. May we be people of justice. 
Lord, in this time, may the words of my mouth be your words, and may the meditations of all of our hearts on your words be good and pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Isaiah presents a very difficult word for us today, and it comes at a very ironic time in Isaiah. Uh, this, this point in Isaiah, this is coming near the end of this book. And if you've ever read through the, end, through the book of Isaiah before, all 66 chapters I think there are, um, <laughs> shows how much I read through the book of Isaiah. A couple of times I have, I don't know the numbers. Um, but if you read through the entire book of Isaiah, then you know the first part, beginning with the commissioning of Isaiah, goes into this whole, Isaiah, you're supposed to go to the people and let them know why this has happened. Let them know why they are now in exile. Yes, Isaiah is a prophet who's to go to Israel, uh, well, really at three different points in time. The first is to let them know what's coming. The second point in time is to let them know what has happened. And the third point in time is to let them know that there is still hope. And so this message that we receive today, it feels like a message that should have come at the at the first part of Isaiah, or even the second part of Isaiah, but the third part of Isaiah, where this resides, we would think we would have more of a message of hope, more of a message of we're going to be okay. Interestingly enough, Isaiah and his uh, rhetoric, or that which is bestowed on him by God, gives the people an amount of hope, but it is a cause and effect kind of hope. You see, Isaiah, his message begins with a, a little bit of irony, a little bit of an unfortunate telling. He comes with these words from God and speaks to the people and says to them, day after day, God's people, they seek me, this is God speaking, and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that practiced righteousness and did not forsake the ordinances of their God. They ask, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. This is a critique of the people of God in both an ancient setting but yet also in a modern setting. This passage is not just for the people of Israel around the time of 700 BCE. This is a message for the church today. How often the church shows up to church to delight in God, to seek God's face, to long to draw nearer to God, yet, Isaiah throws that word in there, yet, there's something that's been missing all along. And my, how many prophets have called upon this. Another prophet, a contemporary of Isaiah, uh, speaks on, speaking on behalf of God, says, the people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In other words, the prophets really send a very difficult to digest message that your religiosity it's all become a show. It's either something that you feel like you're supposed to do because that's just how you've been raised or that's just what, you, what you've been put into, or it's because you find that that's where other people see meaning in your life, and if you go to church like you're supposed to, then other people won't cast down their judgments upon you. 
or it's because you think that it's enough to go to church. You think that it's enough to read the scriptures. You think that it's enough to pray. You think that it's enough to fast. And Isaiah calls out to the people and say, how silly. How silly to think that that's enough. How silly to think that that is all God has been asking for this entire time. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that God is a greedy God, but rather that those superficial things, they're all nice and they are important and they do lead to a deeper faith, but they aren't exactly evidence of faith. They aren't exactly evidence of God working in our lives. Far too often, yet far too neglected in our own reading, the Bible speaks to us about how true faith, true religion, true holiness comes from a life lived for more than ourselves. John Wesley, the uh, founding father of modern-day Methodism, though he didn't intend it, kind of relished in the countercultural nature of the people called Methodists, he said once that there is no holiness but social holiness. Take that in for a moment. There is no holiness but social holiness. Before we can unpack that expression, we need to consider first why God is so displeased with our fast. So, a little bit of context here. As Isaiah is talking to the people of Israel uh, in this, uh, bringing this message from God, the people are doing their normal religious practices, their normal spirituality, the things like going to church and reading their Bible and saying their prayers, and even fasting, a practice which has kind of fallen out of ritualistic practice in modern day. They're doing all of these things because that's what they were taught. If you're going to keep the Torah, if you're going to keep the law, then these are part of it. This is what you do. And so they're doing it. They're going to church or synagogue or temple or going to seek worship, seek the Lord. They are seeking out the Lord in prayer. They are doing all of these festivals and other religious practices that should be good enough, or at least we've been taught that they are good enough because our faith has become just a little more comfortable than it has been challenging. And then God acknowledges two questions that the people say. The people ask, why do we fast but you do not see, O God? Why do we humble ourselves but you do not notice? And God says, because all of these things aren't really getting to the heart of it. 
we are entering, or we have entered as of today, into the, into the season of Lent. 40 days in the liturgical calendar, not counting Sundays. Sundays we consider many Easter's uh, in, the, in this season. But 40 days between now, this Wednesday, all the way until Holy Saturday, the day before Easter Sunday. 40 days of preparation. But it's more than that. It's 40 days of self-examination and reflection in preparation for Easter. The Lenten practice began in the early, early church that uh, people wishing to join the way, wishing to uh, devote their lives to this, the mission of Christ, to give themselves to their gospel, would come to, before the church and they would go through a process of grooming is a poor word to put it as, but it's essentially what it is, for, to help them figure out if this is really something they're willing to commit to. And if it is something they're really willing to commit to, let's make sure you understand what all exactly it is. And so Lent became those 40 days leading up to Easter, Easter being the big Sunday. On Easter Sunday, that was the baptism Sunday as well. Those who wished to enter into the church, they would be baptized on that Sunday and then become full-fledged members of the church. But before they could even get to that, they had to go through 40 days of self-examination and reflection in preparation to join the church. And so, they modeled this time after Jesus' own 40 days in the wilderness, fasting, praying, Seeking God, refuting temptation. Same practices adopted into the church. Now, the whole 40 days aspect, whether or not it was actually 40 days, typically in biblical times, 40 just meant a long time. Um, could have been exactly 40 days. It doesn't really matter all that much. We just continue the practice of 40 days because it makes sense. But the fast, that's the interesting thing. My, how often our fasts when it comes to Lent are things like, I'm going to lose weight this Lent. I'm going to go to the gym more and I'm going to eat healthy this Lent. Don't get me wrong, those are perfectly fine things to have during Lent. It is, it is an honor to God to honor our bodies. But that said, is our Lenten practice for God or is it for us? Is it because we know that beach season is coming, or is it because we know that Easter is coming? And so God kind of asks this question of the people. Why are you fasting? Why are you doing all of these practices? Why do they matter to you? And God even acknowledges, I recognize that you want to draw nearer, that you want to come and be where I am, but you're still missing the most crucial aspect. And it's this which John Wesley called social holiness. This notion that what we are called to is so much more than just me. It's so much more than just me and my relationship with Jesus. It's so much more than just me and my relationship with Jesus and the number of times I show up to church. It's so much more. Verse 6 of our passage, Is not this 
the fast that I choose, says God, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thong of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is this not the fast that I choose? And so, church, I ask of you today, what fast does God desire? Is it the fast from sweets? Not that we shouldn't do that. Once again, it's perfectly fine. But, or yet, perhaps there is more. God, in this Lenten season, calls us to prepare ourselves for Easter, for Resurrection Day, this celebration of all that the church is all about, through self-examination and reflection to ask, are we being a people who are following the fast that God desires? So my challenge for you as we go through this Lenten season, and each Sunday we're going to be talking about the same thing, this notion of social holiness, that it's about more than just me. But throughout this season, I want you to consider, as fasting is a time of self-examination and reflection, understanding what matters to us, I want to challenge each and every one of you to fast from injustice and oppression. And whenever I was first thinking about this, I thought, well, that should be pretty easy to fast from injustice and oppression. But then I started to think about all of the implications that come with that. And so I invite you all, I challenge you all, to think through how I, how you, might be contributing to injustice and oppression without even noticing it. That's how systems are built in our world. And already I feel like I might have offended some people, and to that, I'm very excited for. I hope that it is offensive to challenge you to fast from injustice and depression, because it should be painful. Fasts were never meant to be easy. They were meant to challenge us, to allow us to reflect to examine ourselves, to prepare ourselves to this devotion in which we say, our risen Savior, that is who we belong to. So let us be the people who fast from injustice and oppression. Let us be the people who draw nearer to God in the ways that God has actually asked us to, not just the ways we feel obligated to. Let us be a people who seek out the Lord where God has always been among the people. And let us pray.